0: Uh, This morning, we're going to talk about revival. Revival. You know, when I was growing up, I heard a lot about revival. My preacher prayed for revival. We had revivals in our church and also in tents occasionally. And it seemed to be on the minds of people all the time. Desire for revival. But I got to confess, as a child... I don't think I really ever understood what it was exactly that we were praying for or or why it was something that we should long for as the people of God. There was some confusion in me over whether or not revival was something that we did or revival was something that happened to us. Was God needing to do a work in us that we called revival or we were going to put on an event that we called a revival? And, and this thing that we were doing, was it for the lost or was it for the people of God? So I heard a lot about revival growing up, but I have to admit that I was a little bit confused about what exactly was going to happen when the revival took place. But over the years, as I've grown older, I think I've come to understand more what it was that God's people and the leaders of God's people were desiring then and what I honestly am desiring amongst us as the church of the living God today. My pastor... Back then, the people around me when I was growing up, they simply wanted to see a people who were more wholly devoted to the things of God, who were more committed to the Lord, that were removing distractions from their lives and their speech. Every facet of their life, they were committing themselves in greater ways to God and his glory and the furtherance of the gospel. They wanted the people of God to be awakened once again to the glory of God. That same awakening that took place in the moment of our salvation when we realized how lost we were, how desperate for God we were, and how God had gloriously met us in our desperation by sending us his Son to deliver us from the bondage of sin. Because the further we get away from that moment of deliverance, Our hearts can grow colder to the reality of what it is that God has done for us. You know, in reality, I think they were longing for something a lot like what we see in Nehemiah chapter 9 and chapter 10. God's people here in these two chapters seem different. As we near the end of our journey in Ezra and Nehemiah, the people of God look different, all because God has been doing a work among them. A work of revival, renewal, reawakening. And the people of God are once again beholding the glory of their God in new, fresh, exciting ways. And it's causing them to be different. As as we have seen throughout our time in Ezra and Nehemiah, and anytime you read the Old Testament, you see this to be true. The people of God can fall asleep to the reality of God, and it certainly was true here. They were complacent. They were comfortable. They were distracted by false gods from foreign lands who were just the figments of man's creation, and as a result, God placed them in judgment with a purpose to stir them, to wake them up from their slumber. And you know, The reality is, friends, that sometimes we need that same kind of stirring today. What was true of the people of God then is also true of the people of God today. Unfortunately, even as we gather, even as we minister, we can forget the God that we are seeking to serve. We can make it about ourselves. And we can become distracted from what it is that God has called us to And so we need God and his graciousness. We need God and his mercy to wake us up. To grab our attention and say, those things that you have been seeking, those things that you have been pursuing in your life, those things that you've been giving attention to, they are not worth your time. You are losing your first love. And I want you to return before it is too late. Sometimes, individually and corporately, we need a move of God to call us back to himself so we can be the kind of people that God calls us to be. And I think it's possible that God is doing something like that right now. In the midst of this COVID season, this this pandemic, we've talked a lot about this as we as your pastors and shepherds have tried to navigate this season with you. Because we want you to be aware of the potential that God is trying to get our attention to stir something within us. And I don't want us to miss it. I don't want our church to miss it. I don't want the global church to miss what our global God is doing to stir his people for his global redemptive work in the midst of a global pandemic. I think you know, it's been true in my life, hopefully it's been true in you, that God is unveiling to us all the unworthy places where we have placed our hope. He's confronting our complacency, and he's causing us to focus on the very things that we've taken for granted, this meeting being one of those things. And it's my prayer church That at the end of this season, whenever that may be, and we pray for it to be soon, I know you do as well, we will look new. That we, First Baptist Church of Irving, but also the global Christian church, we will look different as a result. We will look revived, renewed, wholly committed to our God and His work. Friends, I want us to experience revival a renewal, a reawakening to God and and the things of God. Wholly devoted to what he has called us to. And I think God will have used this time in COVID, but also this time in Ezra and Nehemiah, which have been such a blessing to us to do just that, to help us. So let's allow him to do this work. Let's allow him to to shape us in this season through his word by looking at Nehemiah 9 and 10. To see how it's possible for the longings that we have today as the people of God can be carried out amongst us just as it was back then. Let's look at this revival in Nehemiah 9 and 10 and begin praying about how we can see something similar in our own church amongst our own people today. We'll begin in Nehemiah 9, verses 1 to 5. Now, on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worship the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood all of these men, and they cried with a loud voice to their God. And the Levites, together, they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting, everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. And that call is met by something really profound that begins in verse 6. The people under the direction of the, the Levites, the teachers, begin to recount the entire history, the entire redemptive history of Israel retelling both the faithfulness of God and the unfaithfulness of his people. They remember every detail of God's redemptive action on their behalf. If you ever want a quick recap of the entire Old Testament, just go read Nehemiah chapter 9. In light of all they have remembered, taught to them, through the word of God, as they have sat there and recounted their unfaithfulness, but God's faithfulness in spite of their unfaithfulness, here is what they say in verses 32 to 38. Now, therefore, our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love, let not all the hardship that we're experiencing right now, seem little to you upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. Our kings, our princes, our priests, our fathers have not kept your law or paid attention to your commandments and your warnings that you gave them even in their own kingdom and amidst your great goodness that you gave them and in the large and rich land that you set before them, they did not serve you or turn from their wicked works. Behold, we are slaves this day in the land that you gave to our fathers to enjoy its fruit and its good gifts. Behold, we are slaves And its rich yield goes to the kings whom you have set over us because of our sins. They rule over our bodies, over our livestock as they please. And we are in great distress. But because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. On the sealed documents are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. As they call out to God and they appeal to his faithfulness. The people commit themselves once again to God. They they form a covenant to reaffirm their commitment to the covenant that God made with them. And the details are laid out there very specifically in chapter 10. We see everyone who signed it, and we see exactly what they are committing themselves to. These people want to be different This generation wants to be different. It wants to learn from the failures of the past, and they want to be a people for God's own possession. Renewed, revived, reawakened to the glory of God and the task that he has given to his people. What a beautiful picture. Of the people of God sitting before God, desiring more of God, the things of God. And it makes me wonder, how did they get there? How did they get there? If we're thinking back over the whole of our our time in Ezra and Nehemiah, how did we get to this place? And even in this specific chapter, or these two chapters, how did the people of God get there? And then consequently, how do we get there today? What needs to happen in our church, what needs to happen in the churches around us is laid out for, here, for us here clearly in the word of God. I think there's a pretty clear path for revival in Nehemiah 9 and 10. A recipe for revival, if you were, It's the language we're going to use today. And what's great is we've been preparing for this moment in our entire study. Everything we've been learning in Ezra and Nehemiah has been laying the groundwork for what we see in 9 and 10 and laying the groundwork for our understanding of what it is that we need to do or that God needs to do in us and our response to what God wants to do in us for us to experience this kind of renewal, this kind of reawakening, this kind of refocused commitment to who God wants us to be as a people. So let's look at these ingredients that God's been stirring within us over two months in these books and once again brings to our minds in Nehemiah 9 and 10 to see if we can learn something together today. A recipe for revival, Nehemiah 9 and 10. Ingredient one for this recipe. A focus on the word of God. What began in chapter 8 that we talked about a great length last week, as we saw the ministry of the Word on display is continued here in chapter 9. The people of God have heard the Word faithfully taught for 12 to 13 years under the ministry of Ezra, and they have heard it taught in a concentrated way in the time previous to this moment during the Feast of Booths. And it continues in chapter 9, verse 3. They stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. Once again, the Levites assemble before the people and the word of God is read over the people. And it just reminds us, friends, that a recommitment to God begins with God himself. A recommitment to God begins with a renewed vision of who God is, a revived revelation of the glory and greatness of our God. As we see who he is through what he has said and what he has done throughout his entire redemptive interaction with his covenant people. This is the purpose of the Bible, the written word of God. Through it, we see the story of God's covenant interaction with his people We see all that he is and how different we are from who our God is. I want to show you just for a moment. We didn't get to read this, but I'm going to pull some things to your attention. Just how many attributes of God are displayed just in Nehemiah chapter 9. How many things we see about our God just from what the people confess that they have learned about God through their time reading the word of God. Verse 6, they declared that God is the creator over all things. Echoing what we see in Genesis. God is sovereign over all the activities of man. We see that in verse 8 of chapter 9, and that truth is carried out throughout the entirety of their recollection of God's redemptive activity amongst them. God is more powerful than the most powerful nations on the earth, verses 9 and 10, as they specifically talk about how God overcame the kingdom of Egypt. He is a provider for his people, we see in verse 15. God is ready to forgive. He is gracious and merciful. He is slow to anger and abounding and steadfast love, we see in verse 17 of chapter 9. God is patient with his people in verse 30. And God is shown to be righteous and faithful according to his own covenant in verse 32. And as we read this passage of Scripture, it reminds us, as we see the testimony of the people of God, it reminds us that everything we know of God, we know through their witness of his word. He has made himself known to us. He has taken care to reveal himself in redemptive activity on behalf of his people and words assigning meaning to that redemptive activity so we know the kind of God that is pursuing us. So we know the kind of God that wants to walk in covenant relationship with us. If God had not revealed himself to us, we would not know a single thing about him because we would be blinded in our sin. But praise be to God, he is a gracious and merciful God who desires us as his people to know more of him. And he has looked down upon us in great mercy, condescending to us, allowing us to know him in our imperfection and walk with him. He is Under the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit caused men to write down what has been revealed so that as the generations move forward under God's redemptive activity, we can know what God had revealed and in that same moment have it actively revealed to us under the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why it's so important that we focus on the Word of God. That's why Revival begins with the Word of God because it is only through the Word of God that we see God, that we recognize all that He is and such that we can be overwhelmed, stirred, removed from the ditch of our sin, removed from the ditch of our disobedience and moved to want to walk in faithful relationship with him i hope you see the gift of scripture friends every time we sit before the word of god we are forced to reckon with the greatness of god which has the potential if we approach it rightly with humility to stir our hearts and draw our affections back to the lord god has revealed himself through his word and that's why revival always begins with the word because that is how we are captured by the glory of God. And when we focus on the word of God, some things happen. Some other ingredients for revival begin to unfold in response to the work of God in us through his word. Ingredient two, what happens as a result of the focus on the word of God, God-honoring worship happens. We see that in verses 3 and verse Five, they they read the book of the law for a quarter of a day and then another quarter of it, they made confession and they worshiped their God. These Levites stand up in verse five and here's what they say the people of God should do. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. As God reveals himself to us through his word and we're captivated by the picture that we see of who God is, it should move us to worship. We don't just learn knowledge about God when we encounter his word. Friends, we are encountering God himself. And when we when we recognize all that God is, not just knowledge about Him, but how all of those attributes and truths He's actively utilizing for our good. He's actively utilizing to draw us to Himself. Friends, how could that not make your mouth want to open and start blessing Him? Start praising Him because of who He is. We were created to worship. And as we're captivated by the glory of God, the reason why we're created is going to come out. we got to ascribe to him glory. we got to declare how different he is than the other so-called gods. The nations around us worship. We have to tell of his greatness. Listen, every time you read the Bible, all you get is knowledge you have missed something. We're not just trying to write a dictionary about all the things that we've learned about the so-called God of the Bible as we read through it. We're trying to encounter God himself. He's trying to reveal himself actively through the word of God to stir us to greater faithfulness. What's happening in chapter 9 is just not an accounting of information. It's not a history class. What's happening in 9? It's worship as they declare the truth of who God is and how it is good for them that God is this way. How he's unlike anything we could have imagined. And he's better than anything we could accomplish on our own. What's happening in chapter 9 is exaltation. Just listen to the word of God, the the testimony of the people in verses 16 to 21 of chapter 9. It's when they're talking about the Egyptian period, the Exodus period. Listen to what they say. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously, and they stiffened their neck, and they did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey. They were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. They stiffened their neck and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. Listen to this. But you are a God ready to forgive gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and did not forsake them. They're not just saying facts. They're ascribing to God glory there. Even when they had made themselves a golden calf and said, this is your God who brought you out of Egypt and had committed great blasphemies and your great mercies. You did not forsake them in the wilderness, but you gave them a pillar of cloud to lead them and the way and did not depart from them day by day. For the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way by which you should go. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manna from their mouth and gave them water for their thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness and they liked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. All those things true? Absolutely. they're not telling them just because they are true. They are telling them because those actions, which are true actions, reveal the character and nature of God. And their hearts are being stirred as they are hearing about what God has done and what God has said to worship Him. God honoring worship. When you see what God has done for you, when you see how God has acted for you, Especially in Christ. Friends, how could we not be moved? How could we not make much of Him? And of course, the more we see of God, the more we also see of ourselves. what happens when we focus on the Word of God, right? We see all that God is, but we also see all that we are not, or all that we are, and consequently all that we are not. And that leads to ingredient three, the confession of sin. Talking about revival here, right? So we focus on the Word of God, God reveals himself to us, and we begin to worship him. But as we see more of him and we declare more of him, we also recognize our sin. And a majority of chapter 9 is a confession of sin. Both generational sin and current sin. They acknowledge why they are where they are. Because of the the faithfulness of, of the people of God to write down what God has said, they know why they went into exile. And because Ezra taught it faithfully, they know why they are back in the land of promise. And they even acknowledge God's righteousness in his judgment against them in verse 33 because they know the law and they know what God promised. If they did not walk in obedience, And so they are repentant, and they express a desire to be different. And this is not just lip service, friends. This is not just, hey, you caught me. Sorry, God, I'll be better. Look at their actions here at the beginning of the chapter. They're fasting. They're walking around in sackcloth, right, like super uncomfortable clothes, like potato sacks. And they are covering themselves in ashes. They are so despondent. They are denying themselves earthly good because of how they have forsaken heavenly good. How can they enjoy the blessing of their God when they have taken him for granted? And they're brutally honest. I mean, when you read through chapter 9, they're not sugarcoating anything. They're saying exactly what their forefathers did. They're saying exactly what they have done. They are... Very detailed in the history of unfaithfulness and rebellion, confessing it before the Lord because they know they must in order for renewal to truly happen, to learn and to be different. And it teaches us something here. We cannot, as a people of God, move forward with God without telling the truth about where we've been. We can't move forward with God until we tell the truth about where we have been. The Word of God reveals. It it reveals clearly and specifically. And we cannot whitewash the conviction of the Spirit of God. We have to be honest. Trusting in all that God is to account for all that we are not. There's a reason the people of God needed renewal. There's a reason they needed revival. There's a reason why they've been resistant to the things of God. They had to say that, hey God, listen, we have divided hearts. We have divided loyalties. Our our people have displayed a history of divided hearts and loyalties that have caused us to wonder for the things of God. Remember what we learned about in Ezra. Confession is saying of our sin what God has said about it. And we see that, that lesson that we learned way back in Ezra being carried forward through now into the time of Nehemiah. We cannot be right with God until we have acknowledged what is wrong in our relationship with God. Otherwise, how are we going to learn? And how are we going to be on guard to make sure that what has caused us to have that separation is no longer at play. And we can be devoted to the things of God. People of God have to confess what has led them astray in order for healing to come and restoration. And then, out of that confession, we see ingredient number four. A renewed commitment to God. Their recognition of who God is, their worship of Him and confession of their sin leads them to want to commit themselves, to recommit themselves, commit themselves in new ways to the things of God. As the Word of God has done its work and the people of God have sought Him and confessed their sin, this leads to a public renewal of their commitment to Him, a public revival with names signed on a public document saying this is who we're going to be now and you can hold us accountable. The commitment is strong. Look at chapter 10, verses 28 to 29. The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, all who have been hearing The word of God faithfully taught. They join with their brothers, their nobles. They enter into a curse and an oath. I promise with the understanding that there will be consequences if they don't hold to this commitment to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, to observe it and to do all the commandments of the Lord, our Lord and his rule and his statutes. So what do they say? We've read the word of God, seen God for who He is, we're worshiping Him, we're confessing all the things that we have done to offend Him and now because of our experience and His mercy and His grace, His goodness, His love, we're going to commit ourselves to try to be the people that He wants us to be for His glory. They will observe what God has commanded in relationship, not outside of relationship, and they will do it and they will be faithful because God has been so faithful to them. They will express their love for him in obedience, in faithfulness, knowing that God is pleased in their faithfulness. And listen, the importance here, the order is of great importance here because of how this comes about. You, you, can't re, you can't will yourself to renewal. It is a work of God, but it will be evidence in your life. The desire here to want to walk faithfully after God is an evidence of the work of God in them. They will separate themselves, keeping themselves holy in this land that God has given them. They will give faithfully to the work and to the buildings of God. They will offer their first fruits and the tithe to make sure that God's house his business can continue forward and they will sacrifice in order to maintain the relationship between themselves and God and have their sin covered. What a picture of revival, friends. Think about how far the people of God have come from bondage, in slavery. Assyria, Babylon, and then Persian rule, and now here they are, rebuilt, in a rebuilt city in front of a rebuilt temple. Committing themselves to their God. What a blessing to see God's work amongst the people, to see all the things that He has provided, and all the work that He does in in response to lead this people. To a place of revival. So the question looms for us. Do we need revival? Do we need to be renewed? Now listen, I certainly don't think that we as a church, First Baptist Church of Irving, are in the same place that God's people were whenever they went into exile, when they went into judgment. I think in many ways, we are devoted to God and his purposes. And I I praise the Lord that we are growing in our desire to be more faithful to God and more committed to his word. But that doesn't mean that there are no areas of growth that we can't look at. I think there are. I do think there are some places in, in our church that if we leave them unattended, if we leave them unaddressed, they could lead us to a place of danger. But more importantly, even in places where we are successful, even in places where we are exhibiting faithfulness, we have to bear the warning of the Old Testament that faithfulness today does not guarantee faithfulness tomorrow. If we're not vigilant and committed corporately to challenging one another to make sure that we are about the things of God, not distracted by things that will remove us from the things of God. So I want us to to think about this morning in kind of a summary way as we've walked through this season and walked through Ezra and Nehemiah. I want us to think what we need as a people to make sure that we stay committed to the things of God. And those places in our church and in our own individual lives where revival is needed. That we would see from the text today what we need to commit ourselves to in order to experience that kind of revival and take our commitment as a church, our commitment to the Lord as a church to greater heights. Wholly devoted to God and the things of God. So, As your pastor, one of the pastor elders here at this church, here is what I hope that we have learned through this passage and our entire time in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah that will keep us revived and lead us into greater revival as we seek to faithfully carry out the ministry God's entrusted to us here in Irving. Four hopes I want to offer us this morning that I hope will stir us and lead us to greater revival as the people of God. One, I hope we will trust in the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God. We made some resolutions last week. I want to carry those over today. Listen, the Word of God must be our starting point because the most important thing we can do every time we gather is to allow the Spirit of God to speak to us through the prophets and apostles. I love what the Bible says in, in our passage today, chapter 9, verse 30, when they're talking about the work that God did through the prophets Many years you bore with them and you warned them by your spirit through your prophets. And do you know God is doing that exact same work today amongst us? Through the prophets and through the apostles and their inspired work in this book, the Holy Spirit of God is continuing to speak to us, continuing to warn us, continuing to shape us, continuing to convict us, continuing to encourage us, continuing to edify us to shape us as the people of God. God has promised us to work in us through his word. And listen, we have everything we need. Everything we need in the word of God. When we gather every week, I want you to know, and I hope that you will join with me in this commitment, that the word of God will be our focus. And because we're committed to expository preaching, More often than not, 99% of the time, the next text in the book that we are going through will be the focus of our meeting. Because we believe that every word in this book is inspired, and every section of Scripture has something life-giving to say to us if we will be attentive to listen and to hear. We believe in the sufficiency of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, and we want to sit under it every week because through this book, we get a greater glimpse of the glory of God. He actively reveals himself to us through this words so that we just don't know about him, but we can actually know him. And there's nothing better than that. Friends. So I hope that we've seen here that if we ever get off path, if we ever start going astray, in all likelihood, it's because we've not made the Word of God the central focus. And if we need to get back on track, the way we do that is by focusing on the Word of God. So let's further our resolve to make sure that the Word of God is the focus of what we do and who we are as a people. Secondly, I hope that we will be known for our worship because of our commitment to the Word. I hope that we as a people will be known for our God-honoring worship because of how committed we are to the Word. As we focus on the Word, I hope we will seek to bless the Lord. Every week, as we talk about all that God has done, all that God has said, and how he has revealed himself to us, we should be standing before the people saying, stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be his glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and all praise. Because every week, right? I mean, it's so incredible how the word of God grows with us. Every week as we sit before a new passage of scripture, we are learning something new about God to worship. And here's the great news. He is infinitely good. He's infinitely great. So we will never stop learning about the greatness of God. There will be something new every day for us to worship and declare about him. And that will carry on for all of eternity. Man, listen, I hope when we come in this room, we're not sitting on our hands. We're not uninspired, apathetic distracted from what it is that we have gathered to do. And even if we are, my prayer is that by the time we get in the Word, that changes. Because we've been captivated and captured by God. I pray every week we will sing songs of praise expressing His greatness, every kind of song we can sing, every style of worship we can get our hands on, using as many instruments as we can, many voices. I hope this room, I I can't wait for the day when this room can be filled with a congregation singing at the top of their lungs, pushing their voices forward without worry that what's being carried on is going to kill the person beside me or make them sick. I can't wait for the day when our worship can, be, can fill this place in freedom and devotion to God. Because it is good for the people of God to gather and to sing songs and praise to him. I hope every week when we gather, we can give testimony, like we heard from Kelvin this morning, of God's faithfulness and encourage one another. Even when we don't see it that week, there's somebody amongst us who has, and they're reminding us, just stay the course, Friend. God's faithful. I lost my job, but God's faithful. He's providing for me. I experienced hardship and sickness this week, but God's faithful. He's provided for me. I had a tough time at home this week, but God is faithful. He's provided for me. That is worship, friends. As we declare the faithfulness of God, I hope that we will express our continued dependence upon God and a greater commitment to prayer. What a testimony of worship. So we cry out to him and say, we need you because we cannot do this on our own. I desire our worship here to be different because it is so centrally focused on the word of God and the truth of God. And that it's, it's birthed within us as the Spirit does his work in us. Not because we're trying to manufacture something in this room, but it's an honest response to the glory of God that we have partaken and seen the whole week that we were reminded of in the word of God. Thirdly, I hope it will be ready to confess sin. And this one's touchier, right? This one's a little tough. But as we see God and we worship him, I hope that our hearts will be softened. Nobody in here is great as it compares to God. Nobody in here is holy. All of us are imperfect. And even as a church, we are imperfect. Corporately, we are imperfect. And as the word of God does its work, as the Holy Spirit of God does its work, his work in us through his word, our hearts should be softened to the point where when anything is revealed in us that is not honoring to God, when anything is revealed to us that is not Christ-like, we should be willing to immediately confess it And reject it so that we can be more like God as His people. What's also challenging to me is the kind of confession this one is. We talk a lot about personal confession, right? But sometimes I think corporate confession is also appropriate where we as a people recognize how collectively we have not honored the Lord as a people and we need to collectively and publicly say how we have not honored the Lord as a people and i got to be honest with you guys i've never seen that done well occasionally i've seen it at a southern baptist convention a few years ago we confessed on our confessed our our role in terrible history that slavery played in the formation of the Southern Baptist Convention. That was good, A, a necessary first step. But in local church settings, I've not seen this kind of corporate confession that needs to take place, I think, more often. I wonder, as a church, we would grow to the place where we would be bold, saying things like, God, we have valued sports more than we've valued you. Father, we've valued our comfort more than we have valued you. We valued our jobs, our preferences more than we have valued you. And, and not even using those kind of very generalized terms, would we, get specific, would we get specific? Say, here's exactly what we have done. If God were to bring something like that to us, would we be sensitive as a people enough to acknowledge it agree with it and state it publicly so that we as a people can commit ourselves to guarding against it so it doesn't take our hearts captive again. I'm challenged in that. And I'm challenged about how to lead us in that as a people. And finally, I hope we will continually recommit ourselves to the things of God. We can't recommit ourselves to God until we recognize what has distracted us from the things of God. We can't realign our hearts to God until we've figured out what's divided our hearts. But once we have, and once we have said that, I pray that we would never grow weary of this journey we are on. Recognizing that every time God removes something that is not of him, we allow him to he replaces something that with he replaces it with something that is of him which leads us to greater joy and blessing it's always good at first it stinks it hurts but in the long run it's always better because we get more of him and how could that ever be bad as we are continually reminded of his goodness as we are continually reminded of the goodness of the work that he is doing, let us find those places in our lives, individually, corporately, that do not honor him. Let's remove them and let's recommit ourselves to him as a response to the work that he is doing in us. As we've made the word of God central, we've worshiped him, confessed, and now committed ourselves. Recommitted ourselves to what God has called us to. Let us be a wholly devoted people. Wholly devoted to God. And this is an important thing for us to say because as we will see next week, these people, as honest as they sure that I'm sure they are in chapter 9 and 10, as sincere as they are, And their desire to walk after God, they could not do it. This commitment they make in chapter 10, taking on themselves the obligation to do these things, to to know the law and to walk in it, it proves once again to be too heavy for them. And they fail. But you know there's someone who did not fail. And his commitment to the Lord and his commitment to the law, to know the law and to walk in it. And his name was Jesus Christ. And as a result of his faithfulness, we have the opportunity now to succeed where this people failed because he has made way for the Spirit of God to live within us and empower us to do more than we could do on our own. And so what was not possible there is now possible because of the work of Christ. So, it shouldn't be an overwhelming thing for us. It should be an encouraging thing for us that God has called us to this, but also provided for us through the work of Jesus and the Spirit of God that now resides in you and us as a people to be about the things of God. So, let's be wholly devoted, knowing that we can and we must because of the greatness and glory of our God. Wherever you are, would you bow your heads? Spend some time before the Lord asking him to help you know how to respond this morning to the word of God. As we see here, the word of God does demand a response. Maybe this morning you're saying, Jared, I feel the burden of trying to be holy. I feel the burden of trying to be righteous. I feel the burden of trying to please God and I cannot do it on my own. And you are 100% right. You may be trying to commit yourself to God, but you haven't committed yourself in the right way. And so this morning, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ has done what we needed to do perfectly. And the righteousness that he achieved, he now extends to us when we repent and believe in him unto salvation. And at that moment of salvation, the spirit of God comes and takes residence upon you so that you can begin to live a life that is worthy of God because you have access to God that stirs your heart's open your heart opens your heart to love him in ways you never could have before and drives you to obedience if you don't know him today wherever you are in your home in this room would you come to him this morning his burden His yoke is easy, his burden is light. He's carried it for you. For those of us who are in Christ, as a church family, are we willing to commit ourselves to these things? To be revived where revival is needed, and to stay revived, not distracted? Will we resolve once again? to commit ourselves to the word of God and trust in it and the work that God has promised he will do th- through it. Will we allow it to drive us to worship? Will we allow the Holy Spirit to use it to lead us to confession individually and corporately? Not worried about our own glory but his. And will we recommit ourselves in light of those works to the things of God? Knowing that it's possible for us to lose our way and not wanting to be found asleep when Christ returns. Father, would you help us be a more faithful people, more wholly devoted to you? Would you wake us up, God, and help us to follow hard after you? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You stand and respond as the Lord leads.